You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. Hi, welcome back to another show of Future Proof Workplace. We're excited uh, to continue on with this. You know, Morag and I started this show because, well, frankly, we wrote a book called Future Proof Workplace, which has really been resonating with so many people. We're not talking so much about the technology. We're talking about how the workplace and humanity has to change in order to adjust to the the technological change that is rapidly overwhelming us in many circumstances. You know, it was funny when we first wrote the book, um, driverless cars were kind of there. And now we see General Motors is going to be putting out a driverless car next year. So even what was dreams last year are now fast becoming realities. And because of that, it creates all sorts of different kinds of relationships that we're going to have. And I was reading an article today from Tom Friedman, which I thought was really very interesting. As artificial intelligence and robotics and quantum computing continue to take over things that humans used to do, the requirement for humans to continue to grow and upskill is going to be huge. And actually, for many people, as Morag and I have said many times in our books and our talks, these can be exhilarating times because we're getting rid of sort of drone jobs that weren't fun for people anyway. And we also have an opportunity to expand exponentially our human capability. This equates, I think, in this century with the same kind of tsunami that that happened in the beginning of the 20th century when we moved from an agrarian culture and society to an industrial one. It's just huge, and it's playing out so much faster. Morag's not here today. She's running a workshop on Future Proof in Houston. Uh, And I just came back from doing a a, a session with Duke uh, Corporate Education, which was loads of fun. And um, we're now inviting a a guest, David Knorr. David, we have known for a while. Um, Very excited to have David on the show with us and with me. Uh, We ran into each other again um, in London at the Thinkers 50, um, a very prestigious group of great thinkers around the world. And David was there uh, as as part of a a think tank group and with Marshall. And David's also part of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches, paying it forward to help develop everything, provide everything that Marshall knows to these coaches. And then moving from there, it's David's responsibility to pay it forward from there. So I'm not going to say too much more other than to point out that David is really a great growth strategist. He's a thought leader. He's a prolific author. He really focuses a lot on relationships and the economics of relationships. And his latest book is Co-Create, which I have glanced at David, but have not uh, completely read. 
Why I think David is so important uh, to our discussion, because one of the chapters in our book and one of the key factors for the 21st century is relationships. Because with all this technology that's out there, that's going to continue at just a rapid pace, relationships are going to become increasingly more important. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on, David. Thank you for joining. Linda, it's good to be with you. Yeah, it was so nice to see you in London. Dapper as ever. (laughs) Very kind. Yeah. So, David, I know a little bit of your background in history, but I just think it's fascinating. And I I think some of the things that are going on today uh, shed some light on the contribution that you're not only making to society at large, but that you've made uh, in the United States. Tell us a little bit about your history and, and how you got here. Sure. So uh, for those who may not uh, know my, my story, I'm, I'm originally from Iran. Uh, I'm a, uh, my parents are retired teachers in Persian literature and Persian history. And uh, in the old uh, Shah regime, we were uh, sent abroad to Kuwait to teach uh, at, at local institutions there. The, the revolution happened. The regime called them all back. My parents had the foresight to realize there just wouldn't be a whole lot of future for me in Iran. So um, they sent me here to U.S. as a teenager. I literally came to, uh, I landed at JFK on May 23rd, 1981 with a suitcase. Linda, 100 bucks, didn't know anybody and didn't speak a word of English. Yeah. And I came and and, uh, lived uh, in Atlanta uh, with, with an aunt and uncle that I hadn't seen since birth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got my, I'm an old uh, Eagle Scout. So I finished my, my Eagle Scout here and, and finished high school here and then started uh, university first in engineering and then finished in uh, transfer to computer science then finished in business. And, and I'm the quintessential, I'm living the American dream where hard work, education uh, and, and just discipline and focus absolutely creates a, a life of abundance and a day doesn't go by that I don't feel blessed yeah. for having a, a, the opportunity. Now uh, now that I have kids of my own, I can't imagine sending teenagers to a country where they don't know anybody and they don't speak the language to kind of uh, fend for themselves. But what it does is it builds your resilience and, and you... Yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and there's, you know, some people call it grit, some people call it street smart, some people call it scrappy, whatever you want to call it, it, it helps you adapt and yeah. quickly ascertain uh, what's the situation, how do I not, first and foremost, survive, right. but then what will, it, what will it take for me to thrive in this scenario? Um, or, so that's my personal story. And then professionally, you know, early part of my career was in technology, to, you know, I, IBM and uh, computer land selling PCs and then Silicon Graphics, several software companies. And then uh, I went the consulting route. Then I was president of a company based out of uh, Stanford, Connecticut to spend some time as an advisor to a, a private equity firm. And uh, back in 2002, I went on my own. Uh, doing yeah. advisory work for leadership teams and boards, executive coaching, and uh, I speak 50, 60 times a year. So that's just a quick synopsis of my background. You know, it's a great background and it's a great story. And I love it. And I'm so, you know, as you were telling the story and as you told me before, it really is a great story of resilience. I really think, David, you ought to write a book on, on resilience because you certainly 
I, I mean, honestly, I can't imagine being your age and, and many people do it, you know, I, but it is, it's a daunting task learning a new language and, you know, taking on so much in a new country where you don't know anybody and you've left your family behind. I mean, that's, that's big. I think that's huge. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my one of my mentors is Nito Cobain, who's uh, who's the the president of High Point University in High Point, North Carolina. Also an immigrant, and I've heard Nito mention that first generation immigrants are often four times more likely to become millionaires in this country than those who were born here, predominantly because of incredible value in education, unbelievable work ethic. They don't believe they're entitled to anything. They believe they have to go out and earn it, yeah. and just and just hustle and 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 you you adapt. And as I said earlier, you don't see obstacles as obstacles. You see them as bumps in the road that I'm going to find a way to get over, around, under, you know, some other way. I want to get rid of this that is that is really in my way to achieve the goals and dreams and aspirations that I have. Yeah, and uh, and as a, as a child of educators. Uh, I think an insatiable, I have an insatiable appetite to learn. Yes. And uh, I've, I've been using the hashtag never stop growing for, for a number of years. And, and the premise is the day any of us, and I, I know you believe in this as well, that the day any of us stop growing is the day we're no longer relevant to our portfolio of relationships. Right. So I'm always learning something new personally, professionally. And uh, this also brings us back to Marshall uh, Goldsmith and the MG100 program. That's a fantastic learning and growing opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I was excited. I'm going to be in the next cohort, which he graciously is going to put me in. So I was pretty excited about that. But, you know, I, I, uh, as, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm saying to myself, how did you move into the whole concept of relationship economics from all of your experience and all of the things that you did what made you grab on relationships as so key? Sure. So, so let me give you three really critical points in my, in my journey so far that I think has led me here. Number one, and I wrote about this in the Relationship Economics book, which was my first book. That I, I certainly book. didn't. <laughs> thank you very much. I, I certainly didn't get it then, but I think I was five or six years old. My dad was walking me through bazaars of Iran you know, running our Friday errands and beyond, you know, the grocery list that mom gives them to go get to this day every day, dad made a relationship list. And these were individuals. He made sure we went and said hello to, we went and sat and had a cup of tea with, we went and he, and, and he uh, remembered their spouses and they remembered their kids and, and what their family priorities were and what they were trying to do. And, and he, in essence, nurtured those relationships. So when we needed access to whether it was a plumber at the house later that day or access to a politician, dad had nurtured the right relationship to create access. So that's that's one from an early childhood in, in the Middle East, I would submit in most of the, the world, this notion of building and nurturing relationships is bred into you very quickly, very early on, right? And that's number one. Number two, um, again, if you think about my personal story of having to come here and overcoming language barriers, overcoming cultural barriers, and, and figuring out how to fit in, relationships are the ones that help you. And 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 the the funny the funny joke I tell friends is, you know, when I went to when I went to college, you know, you're especially from Iran. If you think about 1981, it was the U.S. hostage crisis, and you're not really popular 
until you do two things. One, play varsity soccer. Two, date a cheerleader. Right? You do those things, and, and you're instantaneously in the popular or at least the likable crowd. But the joking aside, the relationships help you kind of get over some of those uh, stigma, get over some of that uh, perceived uh, cultural, again, barriers. The third one was, uh, Linda, uh, the time I spent with a private equity firm, uh, I saw firsthand, it was literally a front row seat in observing companies that, that not, not, not just by a bit, but dramatically outperformed their competitive peers. And, and the more I looked into these companies, it wasn't just that they had great products or services or a great brand. They built phenomenal relationships, both inside the organization as well as external to it. And so the genesis of my work and this idea of, and I've been using the term relationship currency for a long time, and, and we developed that into reputation capital and then professional net worth. And relationship economics became the fundamental umbrella of not just the soft skill, but really becoming more intentional, more strategic, and I would submit even quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in to accelerate your ability to get things done. Does that make sense? Does that resonate? Oh, yeah, it totally, it totally resonates. And as I'm, I'm thinking about what you're, and I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm, I'm thinking about coaching because I think there's a huge nexus between what you said and coaching. And it just seems as though the executives that I coach, and I'd be curious in your perspective on this, often cannot build effective relationships. And that's why we end up having to coach them. Uh, and I'm thinking of two people I'm dealing with, you know, uh, currently. And they're, they're, as Marshall says, they need to be the smartest person in the room, which alienates everybody else. And, you know, what's, what's your thought about that, David? No, no, no question. Uh, you and I meet, uh, if you think about it a second, uh, we meet often a lot of very competent operational managers. Right. If you if you delineate those folks from those who are truly strategic leaders, the fundamental difference becomes not just understanding the ins and outs of the business, but it really is understanding the the, the, the human dynamics. Right. It's really controlling your behavior. Uh, and, and again, something that Marshall is, is, is well known for is behavioral coaching that says, and, I, and I'm a big advocate of proactively managing your relationships up. So think of the senior leadership team and their boards down, right, to your direct reports and then across with, with peers. And, and again, unfortunately, some people think relationships are just a soft skill. And you hear about, you know, extroverts versus introverts. And you hear about, oh yeah, that person or that function, investor relations, for example, or yeah. marketing or sales, it's just very conducive to relationships. I would submit it has to be a leadership competency. It has to be an executive competency of how, to, who are the relationships who are most impactful to my success? How do I identify them? How do I Build them, nurture them, develop them. At some point, capitalize on those relationships again to accelerate my ability to get things done. And, and it's really important to point out: I'm not, I'm not on your show, and I, and I certainly don't do this when I with my work. I, I'm not here to teach anybody how to manipulate others. That's not what this is about. It, yeah. It's about becoming more intentional about the relationships you choose to invest in. Yeah, totally. 
Well, you know, obviously we agree with you that that um, relationships are absolutely going to be critical. Uh, you know, how do you, David, this this is an interesting thing. I'm going to be doing something with Duke uh, Corporate Education on learning with uh, very soon. And, uh, you know, with all of this change going on in the workplace, how do you teach this sort of, um, I don't want to say soft, but this, this, notion that relationships are so how do you get leaders who to to really embrace this sure so so there's a double-edged sword with relationships right we all know they're important um we're just not sure of the context in which they become uh dramatically impactful in our lives right so let me explain that if you think about it a second linda relationships don't make sense by themselves no, right. Nobody builds relationships because they're bored, right? They're enablers of something. An analogy I like to use is think of them as, as rocket boosters attached to your shuttle to get you into outer space, right? So, so the whole relationship economics methodology says start with the end in mind, right? And I, and I talk about, you know, kind of relationship-centric goals. So beyond anything you can control yourself, if you're trying to get to a goal where you need others to help you get there, that's an example of a relationship-centric goal, right? That's the outcome. Now, let's work it backwards. Who do you need? We call those pivotal contacts. Who do you know? Those are members of your existing relationship bank. How do you connect the dots between the relationships you already have, people who know you, like you, trust you, respect you, with the ones you need, again, to accelerate your ability to get there? So when, when we're faced with a challenge or an opportunity, we often think, what should we do and how should we do it? We seldom ask, who do I need? Who do I know? And how do I connect the dots? Because I would submit to you that in most leadership challenges, managerial challenges, there are no new challenges, right? right. The only challenges, you know, you haven't, you haven't figured out who else has seen that, that movie, who else has been in that pitfall that can help you avoid it. Right. So asking, and, and Jim, Jim Collins says the same thing, asking more who questions. I'm going to take it one step further. How do we identify those individuals who are critical to our success? How do we connect with them? How do we add value? So in essence, make relationship currency deposits. So yeah. when they say thank you, what can I do to help you? You're not you know, stumbling, right? You can say, glad you asked. Here are three people that I'm trying to meet, or here's two people I'm trying to get, get in touch with. Can you help? Yeah, like I did at the beginning of the show. So, so David, we are going to break and uh, stay with us because this is a fascinating conversation. We're going to be talking a little bit more about actually how you formulate these questions, how you make those deposits, how you leverage them. And I just want to reinforce, this is not about manipulation. This is about real uh, connections with others. That's a mutual connection. And we're going to be talking about your new book, Co-Create, which I can't wait to get into. So stay with us. We're going to be taking a quick break. We're taking talking to David Knorr, a growth guru and uh, author. Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in 10 years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. 
Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to uh, doc, uh, to David Knorr, uh, a growth strategist, thought leader, and global keynote speaker on relationship economics. David is an expert in how you build relationships for agile business and agile organizations. So important for the 21st century. David, when we took a break, you were telling us, you know, what specifically people need to do for building these kinds of relationships. And you were giving some very practical tips. Can you continue to take us down that path? And then I want to talk to you about your new book. Sure. So th- we're talking about relationships don't make sense by themselves. If you really focus them, the right ones, the few uh, impactful ones, the few, Linda, real ones, right? Uh, you're much more likely to achieve the goals and the next milestone or the key metrics you're after. So so what I've spent the last, oh, it's crazy to believe, last 20 years uh, focused on are then applications of those relationships, right? So if you think about it. A salesperson wants to find more customers. Uh, a, 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 a human capital or, or talent person finds to, you know, wants to find better talent. Um, one of the most fascinating, uh, by the way, uh, change management, right? Anybody can initiate change, but to make that change last, I would submit what you need are relationships who become advocates of why we should change. Yeah. And, and how that change will make life a lot easier than the current you know, hoops we have to jump through or obstacles we've got we to jump over, right? So, so uh, Relationship Economics was book number one. More recently, and you were kind enough to mention it, Co-Create is book number 10. And I've come full circle in the premise that you cannot succeed in the future going out alone. Right. So if you believe that, premise that you as an individual, your team, your organization, regardless of size or focus or industry, must evolve to remain relevant. What if that evolution came from a few but real and strategic relationships? And 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 I have a mentor who's driven into me that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right? So none of us right right none of us that's exactly right. None of us have all the answers. None of us, with, with such a dynamic market that we all live and work within, none of us have all the answers. So what if you co-created that evolution? What if you co-created your next set of products or services or revenue model or, or go-to-market strategy or the business itself through that co-creation? And what's fascinating with co-creation is it really can come from anywhere. You know, obviously very easy to do that with customers, right? So you've got customers who already know you, like you, trust you. You you go and visit with them and not just, hey, how do I sell you more of my stuff? But help me understand what are you trying to do with your business? Tell me what the biggest challenges are. Tell me what the biggest struggles are. Tell me what the biggest upside is. And even if I don't bring that service today, can I go co-create that with someone where one plus one equals 11? So yeah. it's highly differentiated. It sets me apart from all the market noise, and it creates such an impact for that customer that I don't have to compete with everybody else on 
who's got the cheapest product or who's got the cheapest service, if you will. Yeah. So, so how do you create this? I mean, how do you build these co-creation uh, networks? Sure. So, so first and foremost, you have to be open to it, right? You have to, you have to, and, and you and I have met companies or organizations or leaders who, who may not say so, but the culture is one of, hey, if it's not invented here, it really can't be that good, right? So that's not an environment where co-creation is going to really thrive. Correct. So if you're open to, if you're open to outside perspectives, if you're open to outside ideas, and I'm, I'm shameful about borrowing ideas from cross industries, right? So yeah. I may not be in the retail business, but are there customer experience uh, best practices that I can learn from that industry? Or I may not be in the you know, space exploration, but what is SpaceX and what is what are people like Elon Musk doing that I could also help me think very differently about my business? And one of the, the best examples uh, is Amazon, right? So, you know, everybody complaining that you know, Amazon is putting a lot of small businesses out of business. And I, I'm not sure that's true because last time I checked, I can't go down the street and walk into an Amazon store and get engaged by an Amazon associate, right? So they don't have that high touch, high care in a physical environment. But you know what? What frustrates me is I go to my local store and not only they don't have the product, their answer is, well, we can order it for you. Well, so can I, right? So what value do you bring? Yeah, so how can I differentiator? Hello? Right? So I don't believe, uh, you know, Amazon is putting these companies out of business. It's poor service. It's poor experiences. It's poor responsiveness. Just like, you know, Netflix didn't put Blockbuster out of business. It was the, the expense of, of delayed returns of the tapes. And, you know, you, you would go in and they didn't have the movies you wanted. And, you know, so, so, so first and foremost, you have to be open. Number two, you have to look beyond your own industry. Number three, especially with social networks and social media, which I believe in some ways becomes the antithesis of us building real relationships, right? Just because you are connected to a whole lot of people online doesn't mean we have a relationship with them. So what if, again, we focused on, and and in the book, I call it the Jerry Maguire business model, right? What if we focused on a fewer but real relationships, impactful relationships, relationships that we can be honest with? I, 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 um, my family and I attend uh, Bucket Church in Atlanta as part of the North Point Ministries. And Andy Stanley is the pastor. And, and one of the se- in a sermons he was talking about, the bigger the gap between who you really are and who you're pretending to be, the more exhausting your life becomes. <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, I, and I take that same approach to businesses. Right? So, so what if we focused on fewer but real relationships who knew us, liked us, trusted us for who we are and what we do and including all of our faults. And with those people, hopefully you don't feel like you have to impress them. You can sit and say, here's what we do really well. Based on what we're seeing in the market, here are the things we don't do as well that you may do really well. And can we jointly work on creating something that we can take to market? So in the last chapter of the book, again, everybody talks about innovation and adaptability and agility and, and all that stuff is great. It's fantastic. I, I actually, in co-create, I give people a roadmap. I give yeah. them a set of steps. And the last chapter is actually the co-create canvas that walks you through three phases and 10 steps on exactly how to do this. So, so, get, so it's very clear that everybody needs to get a copy of this book. 
But so, so what are the three, give us a, the, a, the nutshell of the three phases, steps that you have to sure. go through to co-create. Sure. sure. So, so first and foremost, as I said, it, it really, co-creation is built on a deeply rooted, real, impactful relationship, right? So you come to the table, they come to the table, and you start to really map out. You start to really think through, what have we done together in the past that has been particularly impactful? Right? What have we done in the past that has been particularly impactful? Why was it impactful? Uh, how was it impactful? So you start to capture and you start to build on past successes, right? Yeah, like you start that. to identify, right? You, you, you kind of start from a position of strength, right? And, and you build from there. Um, the, the second topic that I taught you, or know, a second, second really key area is. Um, situational awareness, right? So as I said earlier, here's some things that we do really well. Here's some things that we don't do as well. I talk about priorities. What are your organizational priorities? And here's the crazy part. Not over the next five or 10 years. The market is too dynamic for that. What are your right. priorities over the next eight, 18 months? Right. right. Where are you going in the next 18 to 36 months? Where are you seeing gaps in the market between what the market needs and what you bring to the table? If yeah, like we're going to create Right. If we're going to create something together, you just don't want to contribute to noise. How do we create something that has real differentiation? What kind of timeline do we need? And what relationships are going to be critical to our success? Next, I ask if you get into the execution phase. So we lay the foundation in phase one. You, you, you create a unique value proposition in phase two together. Phase three becomes execution. So what are the milestones? How are we going to communicate? What's the best way for us to not just ideate something, but really go into experimentation and implementation? What are the metrics and compensation? Last time I checked, nobody's going to do this because they're bored or they have nothing else to do. How are we going to, how are we going to be better off when we co-create something together is critical. Yeah. The whole premise is based on a common mission, common vision, or common enemy. So let me give you a a, a, a practical example. I've worked with several hospitality companies. Think of the big hotel brands. Yeah. And number one, number one, none of them saw Airbnb coming. Right. Right. So competition, by definition, is changing. Not from people you think you know or the traditional competitors you know, but competitors you don't know. Again, think about um, we, you know we hear about Uber, we hear about Airbnb. Think about WeWork. Right, the, the the office sharing company. Yes, right. they are they are turning commercial real estate on its head, right? And and big commercial real estate companies. I'm not sure they have an answer for it. But you go into any WeWork location, and Linda, the vibe is one of entrepreneurial. The vibe is one of right. It's exciting. It's energetic. It's people. Right. They're you know I love that. I think it's Amazon Web Services app. It's doers, not just talkers, but people that are doing things. And there's right. a reason companies like Google and Toyota are starting to take up space in yeah. places like WeWork because they want to become part of that vibe. They want to become part of that culture. Right. So so you know you have com- competition from places you didn't even you were not even aware of, and then you got to move quickly, right? So how do we? And in the book, I talk about creating pilots and prototypes. Yeah. If you have an idea, if you wait till it's perfect, guess what? The window of opportunity is going to pass you by. Exactly. And, and again, a mentor says, a mentor says, when you're eighty percent ready, move, because the last twenty percent doesn't matter. You'll figure that out as you go. But taking an idea 
to the market to create a pilot and prototype it and test it, you will learn more than ever than use holding on to it in the office. And then quickly turning that into, is it viable or do we kill it? That's the other challenge I've seen a lot of companies is they cannot kill ideas so they can focus on the best ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. David, we are at break again. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about what you see as the new org designs of the future, because I think you're leading into that kind of conversation as we as we think about, you know, hierarchical team-based organizations in the old framework. What's that going to mean for this co-creation for the new way organizations are going to come together and, and morph and morph into other kinds of things. So uh, stay with us. We're talking to David Knorr uh, now, a leading uh, author, prolific, 10 fabulous books, uh, part of the Marshall One Goldsmith 100 Coaches. Um, he is a strategist to some of the biggest companies and the best CEOs in the, in, in the country and in the world. Um, So we have a lot more to talk about, David, so stay with us. We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future-Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future-Proof Workplace is your wake-up call because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Welcome back. We're talking to David Knorr, a leading author, speaker, consultant to some of the best companies in the world, and really talking about a very important skill that's going to be critical going forward is how you co-create experiences, uh, offerings that really meet customer needs. So, David, as I'm listening to you talk before we took a break, you know, you know, you're talking about spaces where people get together. Uh, you're talking about a balance of power, a balance of leadership. It's sounding to me like. What do you think this says for the way organizations are going to be designed and structured in the future? That's a that's a great question, and, and Linda, very astute of you to to observe that. And and again, in co-create, I wrote about what I call the Hollywood talent model. And if you think about it a second, very few people actually work for the Hollywood studio, right? The studio will license a, 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 a you know the, the the script and Get an executive producer who finds the director, and they identify, you know, through casting the on-camera talent, and more importantly, hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are behind the you know camera. And and everybody, I don't know what a grip is, but you know what? Go find me the best grip person. Go right. find me the best best you know location scout. Mm-hmm. So in that model, you come together around a mission or a vision of this of this end product. You work together from a short period of time up to you know several years. But once it's over, the only guarantee you have of, of future opportunities is A, the quality of your work, B, the portfolio of your relationships. Because a lot of times they bring each other in, 
right? So I, I just wrote a, a LinkedIn article about this, that the biggest gaping hole in a lot of traditional organizational structures is that it doesn't include enough outsiders. Right. So if you believe in that Hollywood model, the talent model of let's go get the best that we can to produce the best outcome we're after, by definition, not everybody's going to be an employee. And and we're seeing some of that in the gig economy. Right. right? It's a lot easier to scale things up and scale them down versus hiring and onboarding. And then when it doesn't go well, you know, laying people off and on and on and on. Which is really expensive, by the way. Incredibly expensive. And, And by the way, you know, everybody, a lot of organizations try to do the most humane thing. So now we got severance or we've got you know benefits and then it's disruptive to families. And so the more individuals we train and develop, which by the way, changes the training and developing, you know, development landscape, right? Uh, the more individuals take initiatives, you know, you, you can actually go get an MIT degree, right? Online and for free. And there's a lot of MOOCs and there's a lot of online learning opportunities and growth opportunities. And the, But it takes initiatives. It takes people taking their own learning and growth into their own kind of hand and saying, listen, I'm going to be responsible for this to learn new skills, to really create new opportunities for myself, to really go. And I love it. I think it was a um, quick story for you. I think it was a, a, a CBS Sunday morning piece on West Virginia. And West Virginia is obviously known for coal country. And, right. and by the way, they also have a, a fundamental poverty issue. And right. I think it was a husband and wife who have taken a 100-year-old building in oh, one of the that. towns. Yeah. Right? And they've started, they've started a coding school. They've yeah. started to teach people how to code. Yeah. Because they want the future of West Virginia to be very different than potentially its past. Right. Yeah. And nothing against coal mining, right? God bless those people, hardworking, blue collar, right? right. But but right. that our past doesn't have to define our future. No. So and I would submit is going. Sorry, I was to say, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say that the or you asked a question about the organizational structure of the future. Yeah. I would submit a lot more freelance, yeah, a lot more project-based, a yeah. lot more of this gig economy to yeah. come together around us creating some sort of an outcome. When it's over, what's going to matter is the quality of your work and the portfolio of relationships you've developed right. that's going to guarantee you the next opportunity. Well, you know, I kind of propose, I, I love that. And I think that's really where it's going, to be quite honest with you, is that pods of people are going to be coming together to work on something that really is all about improving the human capability, human capacity, the life of humans. And when it's done, the project may be done in six months. They disband, they've created these relationships, they work, then they move on to something else that really is purpose-driven. And, and that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be much more fluid and much less about organizational hierarchies. What I see in looking at the crystal ball, it sounds like you see the same thing. Absolutely. And, 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 and uh, <laughs> without naming names, companies who go through reorgs. Yeah. And, and in all candor, all they're really doing are reshuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Titanic, totally. Totally. Right? It just That's not going to be sustainable. Right. It's and not. they're going to spend they're going to spend a ton of money and ton of effort, ton of resources and not see the results 
because we're putting lipstick on something that is just broken. Right. That's so I would submit, and I, and I was at a think tank in New York City earlier this week and just surrounded with, with a group of incredibly talented and bright global talent executives. Yeah. And we were talking about the fundamental gap between the supply of relevant talent. Think about yeah. it, right? I need people who get get me, get our business, can come in quickly and hit the ground running. Yeah. And and the demand for thinking talent. Yeah. We need people that can think. We need people to uh, th- that are able to discern. I-, I may not know how to do this job, but I'm going to go figure out how to do it. Or I may not have all the answers, but I'm going to go leverage my relationships to figure out how to do this. Right. So exactly. huge conflict. And if you think of automation, if you think of digital transformation that a lot of companies and industries are going to go through, yeah, it's exactly like what we went through with industrial revolution. Those agricultural jobs have to come and learn how to work in a factory. Right. We're going to have to do the same thing. Is the workforce is going to have to evolve. Right. And I would submit that evolution is going to have to be much more self-directed. So again, I, to big, make this practical, I try to watch one TED video a day. Think about it. We all have that. I'm going to take that right? best practice, actually. I love that. Right. So think yeah. about it. We all have 15, 20 minutes, right? We can find yeah. 15 to 20 minutes. And I got to tell you, some of them I've watched and I'm like, I don't really get it or it doesn't really do anything for me. But yeah. others I've watched and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really insightful. And right. um, Marshall says, Marshall says, you want a definition of brilliance? Something that we all see, but somebody highlights a unique aspect of it that we've never thought about before, right? Yeah. And there's some brilliant TED videos that you watch and you're like, oh my gosh, this woman has been studying patterns in ant migration for the last 20 years, and here's how she can explain why some cities are growing faster than others. Yeah. And what's, what's fascinating about that is it's like food. You never know when you might need or use that information, but if you invest in People who come to your leadership development programs, right? People who come and really see you and do your thing, really take away insights that they can apply into the next evolution of their personal lives, their professional lives, their next job, the next project. So you really can never stop learning. Yeah, it's going to make you relevant. I could not agree with you more. And actually, to tell you the truth, as I'm listening to this. This gets me very excited uh, because what I really see, David, is this whole shift. I mean, the industrial complex was built for the 20th century, for the where where humans, machines and humans were con- connections of one another. And it was all about profit and pro- productivity. This next century is so much more about solving big problems, getting intellectual brain power together, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be entirely different. And I think it's very exciting, actually. It really is. And I, and I can't wait. So, so, so again, question of you, right? If 10 years ago, I told you, you'd be laying in bed, uh, looking at a piece of glass, and that piece of glass could provide you all the information you needed, and you can do on that piece of glass almost everything you can do on your computer. Right. Most of us wouldn't have believed that. That's exactly guess right. what? That's exactly what we're doing with our tablets. That's exactly what we're doing with, you know, instead of massive notebooks and 
and I can get online and I can research quickly. And I got to tell you, I, I wrote in the book, you know, it's an unfair advantage for my teenage child with a iPad going into a car dealership. Yeah. Because on that <laughs> right on that device, he knows more about that vehicle, more about the recalls, more about the value of that vehicle within a couple of years, more yeah. about what its cost of ownership is going to be. And that poor sales guy is actually at a disadvantage. Right. Right. So think about yeah. right now. So think about now the technologies that are coming in the next 10 years. Yeah. Whether it's autonomous cars or, you know, robots. Our family is piloting a robot that's living with us. Really? And, and Linda, this thing can learns you, learns your behaviors, is learning what a pet is. Is mm. learning your preferences and your likes and your dislikes, and it's a pilot program. And I got to tell you, this four foot thing, you start to care for it. You start to believe it's part of the family. <laughs> it's it's right. so. Can you imagine our work now in the next ten years? How will these types of things change the way we build relationships? How do we get work done? Yeah. How do we access information? How do we discern what's useful and not useful information? So it is incredibly exciting time to yeah. really see our work yeah. and our relationships evolve in that process. I, I totally agree. I mean, I just get excited in this conversation, David. It's so much fun. So I want to just segue quickly. Tell me about your great experience with the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches. Sure. So for, for your big audience who may not, yeah, yeah. For, for your audience, sure. So for your audience who may not know Marshall, exec, you know, the leading executive executive coach in the world, coaches uh, numerous, you know, Fortune 100 CEOs, including Alan Mullally, who has been working with them for a number of years. Alan calls him, he's the CEO of Motorola, calls him and says, I just got the top job at Ford. What do you think? Right? Yeah. So so Marshall is that caliber of, a, of an executive coach. And um, I'm convinced, so I think Marshall is in his, in his early 70s. I'm convinced when people get to a, a, a place in life where they've already been successful, they really start to think about their significance. They really start to think about their legacy. And yeah. as you know, uh, about a year ago, he announced this idea of what he calls 100 coaches. And the premise was, I'm going to pick 100 people. I'm going to teach them everything I know for free. The only thing I ask is when you get old, you do the same thing. And you really pay this idea forward. Linda, he's got 16,000 applications. Yeah, he so told me global, that, yeah. right? Globally, he's got a phenomenal brand. A lot of people respect him and, and they want to be a part of um, kind of this ecosystem. Uh, I was blessed that that I'm one of the hundred. My phone David, rings. I and interrupt you for one quick second. We have two minutes left. So give us, and I want sure. people to be able to sure. know how to get a hold of you. So go sure. ahead. So, so. Yeah, so it's just a it's just a, a an ecosystem of 100 global coaches. We meet on a regular basis to learn all we can from Marshall, and the premise is pay it forward, right? Go and teach others that which you know, that which you learn, that which you can take take to the market. And I'm I'm building a, a leadership program for the World Scouting Organization to teach. Oh, with Francis Hesselbein, yeah. Yeah, uh, fifty thousand scouts are coming to the U.S. Uh, July of next year, and I'm building a leadership program for them. But in terms of yeah, I'm really excited, and it's a lot of a lot of Marshall's generosity that's creating that. In terms of how your folks can get a hold of me, just easiest would be our website, which is just norgroup n o u r group dot com. There's a blog, uh, Linda. There are videos. There are newsletters. There's a private community they can join, and uh, uh, there's all kinds of great resources they can get access to. 
Well, David, this was great. I could I could go on for another uh, half an hour with you, and uh, I just so appreciate my relationship with you, and Morag's relationship with you. I know she she would love to have been on the show with us, but I just really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your thinking. I think it's so exciting, and I think we're you know I think we're at a really um, cutting edge time. So. David, thank you so much for taking your time to be with us, and we'll have you back on, I hope. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Future Proof Workplace. I hope that you took something away from today that you will use personally to help yourself and your career move forward and future-proof yourself for the challenges coming up to today. And I hope in listening to this show, you're as excited about the future as we are. The future is for those who grab it, who those who get excited about it, for those who learn, and for those who reach out to others to build on each other's experiences so that we can be the best that we can be. It's all about you. It's not about somebody else. It's all about you taking the opportunities to build yourself. So thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week. This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.